Welcome to Which Side Do You Want, where we talk all things tennis. I'm your co-host, Ruffin Thornton, and I'll be joined by my good friend, James Skinner. Unlike most tennis podcasts, we cover hot topics, from the lawns to the concrete, from the pros to the park, and all things in between. Welcome to Which Side Do You Want? All right, welcome back, tennis fans. Uh, it's been a minute, but we're back in the fold. James, how you doing? I'm doing fine, roughing, doing fine, man. It's that time of the year, it, brother. Absolutely. <laughs> Spring is here, and we are ready to get back on the courts. So let's see. What's going on right now? So it's the end of March, and Indian Wells uh, out in California just ended. We're going to tip our hats off to, on the men's side, Taylor Fritz. Yes, sir. Taylor Fritz just defeated Rafa Nadal for his very first Masters 1000 um, championship. Um, he is the first American since, let's see if our tennis fans know who this is, A.A. Andre Agassi won oh. it in 2001. Can oh, you man. imagine? Say that one more time, Ruffin. First American since 2001 with Dre, Andre, winning the Indian Wells Open tournament. If you were um, born on that day, rough, and you're a grown person. Uh, you're a grown right person. That's how long it's been. That's a, a generation has passed. <laughs> Absolutely. We we gotta we, we gotta change that on the American men's side. I'm telling you. Uh, and we're also gonna say congratulations to the women's uh, winner, uh, Iga Swantek, who defeated Maria uh, Maria Sakari. Yes. Um, you know, and surprisingly, you know, we've got some news on that. She is also the new number one in the world on the women's side because last week, Ash Barty, the former number one, retired at age 25. That is a bit of a surprise because we didn't really see that coming. We knew she was a little tired um, after winning her home tournament in Australia. But, you know, you know, she she she's a great uh, she's been a great ambassador. She's a great player. Uh, now she's going to do other things with her life. So that's we we we're, yeah. we're gonna she's going to be sorely missed. But you know we're happy that she's happy. Yeah, as long as she's happy, we're happy. I know it's so funny. We talked about her in our last segment. Right, you know, we did. And just what a class act she is. And I'm just you know we're disappointed. We won't get to see the those ground strokes anymore. Uh, but uh, we're happy that she's happy and she's made a decision that works for her and her family. So we wish her all the best in her new. Her new life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's currently going on? Well, we're in the second week of the Miami Open on the East Coast swing of this hardcore season um, being held at the Hard Rock uh, Stadium down in Miami. And if you've ever had a chance to go, ladies and gentlemen, please, I implore you, go see the Miami Open. It is yeah. wonderful. This time of year is around spring break. It's a great tournament to go to. Because, again, it's Miami. What else do you need? (laughs) (laughs) What else do you need? Well, let me ask you, Russ, since you know, I have not been since it was uh, at uh, Key Biscayne Island, so the old park. So what are the differences, in your opinion, I mean, that makes Hard Rock a better? Well, I'm not going to say that Hard Rock is a better tournament um, because it's still the Miami Open, but the venue. So before, uh, the Miami Open, as it currently is, was several different things. It was, you went to it at Key Biscayne, it was called what? It was called the uh, Erickson. The Erickson Open. I actually went to it the last year, went to, it was called the Erickson Open. 
Uh, it then turned into NASDAQ. the NASDAQ. Well, actually, it was the NASDAQ, NASDAQ. 1,000. Uh, mm -hmm. And then it was the Ericsson for a little bit. And then mm -hmm. it turned to the Miami Open. Yeah. So uh, in Key Biscayne, because it's an island, uh, it's a little closer to the waterways, much more calm. You got a lot more breeze because you are actually on the water. But um, where it is now, it's right. It is part of the Hard Rock Stadium. So that's where the Dolphins play their tournament. I mean, their their football games. Um, so you don't get the kind of the coastal breeze that you would get, would you, which you would have gotten down at uh, Key Biscayne. But um, I haven't been really in the last six years, mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's still a little bit foreign to me as well. Yeah. But it's a, it's an easy flight. You got two major um, airports. You got Miami International. You got uh, you got uh, Fort Lauderdale right there. Actually, Fort Lauderdale is probably a hop, skip, and a jump from the stadium. But it's a great tournament, and like I said, if you get a chance, definitely go to it. Yeah. Um, so let's move on into our current uh, – those were our current events. So let's move on into our main topic. So, you know, the last uh, episode we were talking about um, Americans' tennis, um, and it got me to thinking uh, – I read an article back from Bleacher Report, for those of you that uh, – don't follow these sports apps, but Bleacher Report kind of puts out the latest and greatest on all things sports. And they had an article back in 2016 about is the next wave of American tennis stars here? And at the time, they mentioned players like Taylor Fritz. Again, obviously, he just won Indian Wells. Yes. Uh, another player, Tommy Paul, he's a top-ranked American. Uh, Francis Hiafo, he's another top-ranked American. Uh, Michael Moe, he's a struggling top-ranked American. And Jared Donaldson, who now is no longer even um, in the picture, not even know, don't even know if he's even playing at the, yeah. uh, at the moment. Yeah, so it, it kind of brought to m uh, my mind, what could we talk about in our podcast? So uh, the future of Americans' tennis on the men's side, on the women's side, where we are, how we stand, and that's what we're going to talk about. So, James, which side do you want? Uh, Ruffin, I think I'm going to talk. We're going to talk about the boys. Okay, uh, I'll take the boys this time, and uh, we can look at some of the up and comers. Okay, and let me just qualify this before we even speak, because we're not we're making an assessment based on what they're doing right now, the match play, how they're playing amongst other junior players in right. the world. That is not a direct indication of how they're going to do on the pro circuit, but it gives us an idea of the type of player they are, how they are in adverse situations, circumstances. Do they have the moxie? Do they have those intangibles that could possibly make them, uh, you know, a major player on the pro level? That's a real good point because, like I said, we, we mentioned Taylor Fritz. He was a top-ranked junior back then. Um, now he's the top-ranked American. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I was just looking when uh, we researched this and we we're looking at who's out there who's playing well. And then I found out that the number one player, the number one player in the uh, International Tennis Federation for the juniors is an American. Okay. And this young man, Bruno Kuzahara. Now, Bruno Kuzahara is the current Australian Open junior boys champion. He won this year. And, uh, you know, we watched, watched some of his film. And this kid, I mean, he has the 
the ground strokes, uh, big forehand. Um, of course, they all have a big forehand now. Um, and I think he's only 17, so I feel like he's going to grow and develop. He hasn't fully grown yet as, as in his physical stature. And so he still plays, you know, his serve. We watched his serve, and I think you commented that you thought his serve was right now it's a serve that gets the ball into play, right. but it's not going to be used as a weapon. But I feel like um, that's something that can be developed. The things that, that you look for that I think we look for is does he have that that killer instinct? Does right. he have that ability to compete on a high level? And so far this year, let me tell you, folks, um, and I'm not predicting that he's going to be but a, the great player of the future or anything like that. He's very good. But he does have that moxie. He's a fighter. Right. And uh, in tough situations, he... The, his recent, he's done like a recent terror on the junior circuit, um, won 91% of his matches. That's mm -hmm. incredible. And on all surfaces, um, on on the clay, on the hard court. So it's going to be very interesting to look and see where Mr. Kuzahara ends up. Um, they, the debate was whether or not he was going to go and you know, go to college or is he going pro and i think after his results i think it's obvious that he's going to try his luck at some future tournaments and and try to get some points and and get into into the big league and we're looking forward to seeing this young man I yeah mean, he's 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 an athlete and uh want to see how he develops but i think right now his future is bright cool that, that's good yeah. bruno kuzahara yeah bruno kuzahara so so how do you think he might uh match up against some other world, well, first we'll say American players like, you know, so in my article, we had Taylor Fritz, yeah. Tommy Paul, Tiafo. That doesn't even include some of the current right. former juniors who've now made a mark, like Sebastian Corder, he's ranked 38. Yes. Riley Opelka, he's, he's actually the top ranked, I'm sorry, he's the second ranked highest American. American. Um, Marcos Giron, Jensen Brooksby, Maxim Cressy, if for those old school players, that Maxim Cressy is the player you want to watch. <laughs> old school, and, uh, and then and then uh, Brandon Nakashima. Nakashima. You know, how yeah. does he compare to those players? I think you know, uh, looking at him right now, uh, the difference between them is the physicality. Right. I think these these he's still a kid. He's seventeen. Uh, the ones you mentioned, they are now adults. They're in their 20s, their early 20s, 20, 21. Right. You could tell, you just look at them and tell they've been working out. Yeah, even They're, even Nakashima, yes. he's he's the youngest of the ones that I just mm -hmm. mentioned. But even he and his body looks like he's a little more mature. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that they work on. You know, it's that you make, making sure that you create that frame for your, that to, to withstand the, what you're going to have to endure as a professional tennis player. Right. It's, it's brutal on your body. So you have to have a body that can take it and can deliver. And uh, so that's the first thing that jumps out at me. So in, we're not com comparing. I don't want to compare apples and oranges. He's still, like I said, he's a 17-year-old kid, uh, maybe 18 now. I'm not sure, but I think 17 last time I checked. So we're, we're looking at um, as he develops, can he compete with these players? I think, yes, he does. He has that upside. And the things that you cannot measure is that heart. And right, right now, it looks like he's got that heart. He's got that fighting spirit. Um, and he's a battler. And he goes out there. He's on the court. If he has to be out there all day, he looks. he's that type of kid. I'll be out there all day. All day. I'll do what I have to do to win. And uh, and just, you know, I watched a press briefing of him. And he seems kind of, you know, he understands. I think he's, you know, he's had some good people behind him working with him. And I okay. feel like he's. 
he could definitely compete. Uh, it's, it may take, I don't expect him to jump on the pages in the next year or two. Right. He's a project. And he's going to probably, we're going to look to see what he'll do in maybe four or five years, let's see, right. where he, he's at at that time. But his upside is good, I think. Okay. Well, that sounds good. You got any other players? Yeah, we have, well, the uh, number two American, uh, he's ranked, I think, eighth on the ITF, but that's uh, Samir Banerjee. Banerjee. This, yeah, this young kid, and I think he's out of Florida. I'm not sure. Correct me if anybody hears that knows, let me know. But he was the junior Wimbledon uh, uh, finalist and uh, uh, quite impressive as well. I mean, he's still, he's young. Once again, we're talking about a young young boy, uh, uh, close to being an adult. Right. And uh, But he also, uh, big forehand, uh, and he also moves moves on the courts, taller, longer frame. He's going to be one of those tall players, uh, looks like. And uh, it, you know, they they've made all of the uh, good things on the um, on the junior circuit, uh, the world junior circuit. And I I want to also tell people that there's they're like tracks that you go into, just like any sports. Uh, any sports out there, uh, organization or programs. Right. And that there's certain kids that you're going to go to a certain level. And if you're at that certain level at a certain time, then you're going to be moved up or projected to move up even higher. Okay. And some players are good junior players, but they'll probably get, they'll get those college scholarships and they'll be good college players. players and right. that's pretty much where they're going to peak up. And if they want to stay in the game and play on a pro level, they'll probably be a teaching pro as opposed to, now that's not a guarantee, but I'm just saying those kids are tracked in different ways. Sure. But the next the few boys we're talking about, they're already on the ITF level. They're already getting rankings on the world circuit. So these are the boys that we're going to be looking at to be tracked to hit the pro level. So I know you may have a kid in your neighborhood who's the top junior player in your area. In your area. He's, he's going to be good. Yeah, and he's a good tennis player. He's a great tennis player. Um, but will he be a professional tennis player? Well, if he's not tracked in the ITF by now, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. And so we're looking at Samir Banerjee. Uh, another boy uh, who's number 13 is Ozan Kolak. Uh, who everyone tells me that he's one to watch. Um, he's number 13th right now on the ITF, and uh, they say he's an athlete. So I have not got a chance to see him, but that's what I've heard is that, you know, Ozan Kolak is, uh, is an athlete that we need to look for. That's cool. Uh, Cause, yeah. Because yeah, that's what, uh, you know, that's what men's tennis and tennis in general has really been missing. We've got these athletes. I'm sorry. We've got these players exactly. who are not necessarily athletes. Exactly. When we find the athlete who li actually likes tennis, now we're going to watch someone like a Serena or a Roger or a Nadal blossom and take the, the tennis world over. I think, Ruffin, that is an excellent point. I think, to me, when we talk about why, last couple segments, we talked about why Americans can't really compete on the world uh, on the world stage right now. Um, we, we have some players that are coming in and are scratching at that surface now, but we have players that are athletes. Right. And I'm not saying that the other players weren't athletes. I think in this country, and I'm I'm not going to get on a soapbox. I'm just going to stay right here with you. <laughs> but I think in this country, tennis is still considered an elitist sport. Absolutely. And yeah. it costs a lot of money. I mean, it's a lot of money and time and energy just to get you up to level to level to level. Yeah. And, it, you know, there are a whole lot of kids that want to be great tennis players that may have the potential, but they just won't get it because the funding's not there. They're not in uh, piped into a mechanism that could could help them, give them everything that they're going to need as far as their coaching and 
So I'd like to chime in on that. I know the USTA, which is a governing body for uh, for our sport, um, has a lot to do with that. But even then, then they're only looking for those ones that have the potential as opposed to waiting for that dark horse to, to appear and mature. Because that's when that, that player that we don't see come out as a, uh, a chosen junior at six years old have the rack in their hand and turn out to be Andre Agassi or, you know, Roger Federer or whoever, uh, blossom. The, the athletes are the ones that have played many sports throughout their young lives, and then they choose to play the sport of tennis at a later date, mm-hmm. you know, 13, 14. And then because they're an athlete, you know, they play soccer, right. baseball, football, basketball. Now they can focus on it, but yeah. you know that has some advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, Go ahead. yeah, no, that that's a that's an that's a great point, and I think that goes back to the fact that the USTA is a private organization. Right. Okay. There's no government subsidies helping the USTA. Nope. Whereas we're at a disadvantage with some countries because their governments do support right. their sports and programs, it. so they have deeper pockets. Now, granted, they're smaller countries and that money can go a lot farther. However. It's the ability of them to find, uh, they have a bigger pool that they get to play from. Right. They get all the kids. And some certain certain countries, I don't know, a lot of, uh, especially a lot of the uh, countries back years ago, uh, they would get kids and they would look at, just bring children in at five and six and look at what their physicality is, what mm-hmm. they p- potentially have the ability to perform at a well good level. It could be gymnastics, it could be football, it could right. be football, soccer, it could be basketball or tennis. We, we and, call it football. Yeah, football, right. <laughs> and uh, those students, you know, once they, they attract, but the government supplies them with all of the coaching, they get the best coaches, they get everything that they need. And here in this country, we just don't have that. USTA is out there on their own. God bless them. It's a great organization, and we support them. Both right. you and I have supported right. them for years in their endeavor. But, you know, they're handcuffed because they have a limited budget, and they have they cannot just throw money out all over the place. Right. So yeah. they have to be more selective. Yeah, they got to be judicious. And sometimes that good kid slides through their Slides head. right through their fingers. Yep. You know, they don't, they don't stick to the sport when, obviously, the better athlete just doesn't have the opportunity, the same opportunity. Yeah. You know, I, you know we if it been, you know, Venus and Serena, prime right. example. Absolutely. I mean, their dad, he, he, he saw the vision and right. he had the foresight to pull him out. But people thought he was crazy. Right. Just keep him in the USTA. But he saw that the USTA had become like a meat grinder. Right. For, you know. And not and we're not the, that's I don't want anybody thinking we're not condemning the USTA. We support and like the USTA, right. but I'm just saying with what they're up against, sometimes this is uh, this can happen. Yeah. So, so any other players you got? Well, you also there's um, just a drop down. Uh, another player top in the top is uh, Ethan Quinn, who's number nineteen, and another kid. Uh, I think it's Nicholas Godsick. I think he's okay. number twenty five. Michael Zhang, twenty seven. Another kid. They're saying he's young, but uh, somebody else that they're saying. So the ones on the lower lower uh, levels, Cooper Williams is another kid that they're saying. But the ones who are down at the lower levels, they're a little younger, but People are really, you know, there's a buzz about them. So we'll see. But so these are players that, you know, like I said, we don't know what they're going to be in a few years. But they're names that you want to look out because they're they're being tracked to that next level. They're on the ITF. They have rankings in the world, and uh, you know they're they're at that level. And so we're it's going to be interesting to see how these boys, young boys, uh, young men, develop in the next five 
six years. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That, and again, that's what we want to look for because, yeah, it's it's nice to jump on the bandwagon once you've seen the, the fresh faces and stars of today. But it's nicer to, to know that, hey, um, I was following this player back in the day. Right. Since we mentioned the Miami Open, I remember... Uh, you may have heard of a young player by the name on the women's side of Sloane Stevens. I remember going to the Miami Open and actually watching her play in the doubles tournament on the women's side. And she was, I think she was still 15 at the time. Yeah. Very respectful, very nice player. Um, not, not, she had the easy power and you can see that, but not quite the same um, as the uh, established pro that she ended up becoming and Grand Slam champion that she is. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, just gonna say, rough. I'm gonna give rough, and I'm gonna give you your props on this one too. I remember when you came back from that tournament, <laughs> and you were talking about this kid, Sloan Stevens, Stevens. and uh, that's the first time I said, okay, okay, she's all that, huh? Right. But you were just saying that you saw the potential. Oh yeah, you, you could see it. Yeah. So I give you your props on that. You saw yeah. that one early on. That was nice, and I got it. You know, that was one of the memorable tournaments. It, you know, the tournament was still at Kibis Gain, so it was fun. Great. Great time all around, but uh, you know, yeah. I we digress talking about the Miami Open. We're still talking about juniors, um, so I'm going to talk about some of the ladies all right. uh, that I've been able to see now. Not as in depth as you, but um, a couple of the juniors that I know. Uh, some names that you guys need to hear about. The first one I'm going to mention. Probably some of you uh, more seasoned fans know. A young lady by the name of uh, Whitney Osegue. Yeah. Uh, she's 19 uh, with a two-handed backhand out of Bradenton, Florida. Um, she was currently ranked as the number one junior player. Now, I haven't seen all of her game, but from the accolades from my, uh, from some of the players, uh, some of the more notable tennis personalities and former players that have seen her game, just to mention Jimmy Arias, they think very highly of her game. Uh, so she's going to be one of those top players to watch. In fact, Jimmy Arias thinks uh, he'd be surprised if she's not a top yeah, 10 right. player. Yeah. You know, she's an aggressive baseliner with a really solid two-handed backhand. But, you know, on the women's side, that's a dime a dozen. <laughs> you know, you, the women yeah. are always yeah. solid baseliners with a solid backhand. backhand. You know, so I haven't, I really can't speak to what, she has that makes Jimmy say that she's going to be uh, an outstanding champion in the future. But someone like that mention you uh, and talk highly of you, you, you got to believe him. He's been part of the game for a long time. Um, another top-ranking player um, on the ladies' side is uh, Robin Montgomery. Yes, sir. Out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> yes, you know, sir. She played uh, from, uh, again, this is uh, close to home, she played out of the Washington, Washington Tennis and Education Foundation. Um, some of the things that I've seen from her, she's going to have an advantage. Uh, she's left-handed. Not too many lefties um, out there. Yes. Again, a, a solid base, uh, aggressive baseliner with a solid two-handed backhand. The things that are in her favor right now, she won the 2000, uh, 2021 U.S. Open Girls Singles and Doubles title. So that's definitely going to play in her favor going forward. Um, so she's a big girl, mm -hmm. big hitter. Big hitter. Uh, but the fact that she's a lefty, you're always going to have just a slight edge, even at the tour level, um, because your ball, your, your your ball's rotation is coming in a different uh, direction. Um, 
Another player that uh, has got a lot of uh, potential, um, uh, Claire V. Nagano, from, also from D.C. She's yep. 15, about to turn 16. Uh, we were looking at uh, some of her uh, instructional videos uh, from some legendary coaches, um, and they were commenting some of the things that she can improve on. But at 15, if she's getting that those legendary coaches, uh, Serena's current coach, yep. um, if she's getting that kind of instruction yeah, now, you can only imagine. Uh, and not to say that the juniors at that level, James mentioned the ITF, which is the International Tennis Federation, um, it, not getting those points. If if you're getting looks and getting le- lots of coaching uh, to help improve your game, you you must be doing something well other than, say, having Mr. Ruffin Thornton teach you <laughs> from Ro- Rockwood uh, Park in Chesterfield, Virginia. The great Ruffin Thornton. Yeah, the great. Legendary. <laughs> I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> um, one other player that I'm going to mention uh, before we move on is not so much a junior, but she's a young player. Uh, Claire Lou, she's 21 out of 1,000 mm-hmm. uh, Oaks, California. Uh, again, solid two-handed backhand. Uh, she was the number one ranked junior player um, in 2017, so a couple years back. But she, you know, she's got a good pedigree because she won the Wimbledon title and she won the uh, French Open um, she was a French Open runner-up. Uh, she also won the Wimbledon Junior Doubles title with her partner uh, Yusa Arconda in 2016. So, all she's already got that winning attitude, winning style of game. In fact, on the ITF, she already has six tournament wins. So that's that's what you kind of look for, as as yep. James alluded to. You know, do you have what it takes to start winning these tournaments? Not just doing well in the junior tournaments, but on the pro circuit. Uh, she's, a, a, like I said, a solid player who can counterpunch as well as fight. Now, she can be, from what I saw in um, a clip from the U.S. Open last year, she can be overhit, or I should say she can be uh, out-hit, but she, she solidly fights and comes back. Um, she's going to have to fight against the players of the like of, like, uh, Alinda Fruit, uh, let me, I'm going to butcher her name. <laughs> Linda Frutover, Fruvertova. She's a 16-year-old Czech player who's currently just beat Vika Azarenka at the Miami Open. Yeah. She's 16. 16. She's got a sister. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Linda is number four in the ITF yeah. on the junior yeah. side. Yeah. And she's got a sister who is number four in the ITF junior side. So these are the kind of players that yeah. you're going to have to be competing with, you know. Another good check player. An, another good <laughs> check player. I mean, out like. Yo, so when, when we talk about the American players, you know, we didn't. I, I, in my original article that I saw, you know, I'm you know I, I mentioned Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul and Tiafo. We know what they've done in their young career, mm-hmm. but since then, I also mentioned Sebastian Corda. He's the he really has the mantle of the American um, men's tennis. Yeah, everybody's really expecting him to be a potential Grand Slam champion. Look at his pedigree. His father won a slam. He was, uh, as a lefty, he was ranked number one in the world for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Riley Opelka, the, um, the number two Americans. He wasn't in that original 
uh, article on 20, in 2016, but in 2017, I happened to be in Cincinnati and I saw this tall young man <laughs> thinking, who is this basketball player? <laughs> no. and why is he... Why is he on a tennis court? I know it. You know, amazing. And now he's he's starting to establish himself as a better um, uh, uh, John Isner. Mm-hmm. You know, with that height, and you know, he moves better. moves better than John. Yeah. You know, and we've got other players, Marcos Giron. You know, yeah. I mean, he's he's a fighter. Yep. Now he's a little undersized, but you know, but he is a fighter. He's a fighter. College ranks. College ranks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Jensen Brooksby. Uh, that dude, we we're not mentioning his name too much, but Jensen Brooksby is going to be that player. Yeah. That just makes you say, "Dog, I got to play this dude again." Yeah, yeah. Man, I what mean, amazing his, talent. I, absolutely, nothing really conventional, but has so much room to grow. Right. Yeah. He is going to be a pro. He reminds me of a poor man's Andy Murray. When you think about the way he plays his game. Yeah, and I'm even taking another. He kind of reminds me of how we looked at John McEnroe when he first came on the scene. Very unconventional. Yeah. Um, Just nothing about him. When you watch him hit, that you would think that this guy is going to be a really top pro. But it's the intangibles. His mind, he has a very high tennis IQ. He understands his positioning, where his position of his opponent is, what shot to hit (laughs) at the right time. It's, he's just amazing. He's one of those those organic talents. I right. Mean, That's that a good just, way to put it. That just comes out, that just gets it. Yeah. Just understands and can put it together. So, yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I expect him to do really good things. And not to say that uh, Maxim Cressy, Cressy, who is, again, a serving volleyer, big dude, yeah. bringing the heat, <laughs> um, is not going to do well because his style is is unseen on, this, on tour nowadays. Right. So... Uh, he's going to be a, you know, he's going to have to high make degree, his opponents pro- Yeah, high degree solved. of difficulty. Right. High degree of difficulty with the serving volley game today. However, my hat's off to him. Right. And we we love to see the serving volley. Oh, man. absolutely. All you know, time. back in the day when we were doing the exact same yeah, thing, like our heroes, yep. serving in volumes, put that big serve in. And even if you didn't have a big serve in, you came in behind him like a, uh, right. a Stefan Edberg, That's and you right. volleyed that first ball, and you've just felt like you were on. Point. <laughs> you were, the two, you were, you were just doing your thing, that's you know. Right. So that that's the game. That's the game of a doubles player. So, and that's the, that's what we love. So, if you can bring serving volley into the game and play it at the highest level, at the tour level, then you're doing some things. Um, I, I know that we're talking more on the men's side, but you know the women we. We don't really know that much about the women because the on the women's side, Americans tennis is it's really it's it's fine. Yeah. You know, you look at the top 100 on the women's side and there are at least 20 women right. on the, that are Americans. It's so amazing. they you won't have to really worry about them. But the women have been holding it down. They have been. For, you know, we got to give our props out to the ladies. For tennis, you all have been holding it down for a long time. Now, granted, there was a period of time it was just Venus and Serena. Serena, yeah. Okay, but you all, hey, the younger groups came in and you're starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. And we're just happy that you all are keeping. Every time I look and see that draw, and we get down to the second week, and you still see those American flags Black, pop up. That's that's when that's what you know. Mm-hmm. That, that's when you know we really are doing what we should be doing. Yep. And again, props to the USTA because they've had a hand yes. in that. Yes. Um. You know, it, it's it's not everybody has a Venus and Serena like Richard did right. uh, that won't really need the help of 
the USTA. Right. Um, the, you got the Jesse, Jessica Pagulas. You've got the, um, uh, you've got the Shelby Rogers. You've got the what's her name from? Um, uh, I can't think of her name. Um, the former champion, the NCAA. We mentioned her in the last podcast. Oh, um, um, you're talking about um, um, from UVA. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> From Florida, Florida girl. Yeah. Anyway, we come back. We have, <laughs> we'll, we'll finish our senior moment here. <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. She's definitely uh, one one of those players. That she came out of college, left Florida, right, and came to UVA and won back to back to back NCAA, NCAA championship. championship. We can't think of her name yeah. right now for somebody. <laughs> somebody else. We'll, we'll but, remember uh, it. Yes. But in any event, that's you know the women have been doing it. They, yeah. They've been playing and um, and winning and competing and competing. I mean, you you figure not only have they won uh, Grand Slam championships, they've won Grand Slam titles. Um, I'm being redundant here. They've been uh, a staple in the right. top players yeah. uh, throughout the last several years without Venus or Serena. Sure. You know. We forget Sophia Kennan won. Yep, Kennan. Um, we forget, uh, again, Sl- um, Sloan won her tournament. And um, Madison Keys was her opponent in yep. that final. Yep. So um, the women have definitely uh, been able to hold it down. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of holding it down, um, uh, what do we have going on? Uh, what's what's our historical point oh. in uh, for the month of uh, well. Uh, March. Well, roughly, since you asked. Right. <laughs> uh, I would like to just tell you it was um, over 107 years ago, the founding of the American Tennis Association. Um, and let's, let me just tell you that um, the ATA was founded uh, in 2000, I'm 2000, in 1916. So what's the ATA? That is the American Tennis Association. Now, it was a tennis association founded by and for uh, tennis play for African-Americans. At one time, tennis became a popular sport in the United States, and it was played by the elites um, at that time. And the governing body that was created for tennis was the United States Lawn Tennis Association, which is now the USTA. Now, the USTA, like we said earlier, we love the USTA and we support it in its endeavors, but its history has been a little tainted because uh, at that time you had a group of blacks who were professionals, who were doctors, lawyers, professors, teachers, and they were the elites of their class. Mm -hmm. And like following the elites, they started playing tennis and they enjoyed playing tennis. And once they made inroads to try to become members and participate in the tournaments, sponsored by the United States Lawn Tennis Association, well, the USLTA decided to put out a statement saying that they are going to ban or bar uh, any African-American participation in any of their events or tournaments. And so after seeing that, you had uh, programs and tennis tennis programs that had already formulated in Washington, D.C., the mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. Tennis Club and the old Monumental Tennis Club of Maryland. These people got together and they decided to create their own uh, tennis body, and that became the USTA, and the um, I'm the USTA. It became the ATA, yeah. the American Tennis, tennis Association. Association, 
And so you had these professional people come together and they, they were already playing tournaments, little small tournaments. So then oh, they I decided to have a national body okay. where they could compete with each other okay. uh, across state lines. And that's where the ATA was founded. And they are still in it, in existence. It's it's no longer um, you don't have to, it's no longer just for African-Americans. Anybody, I think some of their last national champions have been non-African-Americans. Right. And that's that's a good thing. I yeah. think the body for itself should still exist. Um, I'm a member, been a member for quite some time, and I'm proud of my association with the ATA. I, uh, I think what they do to reach out, to, to bring tennis, to grow the sport to every everybody in this country, I right. think is unparalleled. They've been at it for over 100 years now, 107 years. They must be doing something right. They're doing something right. So hats off to the USTA. Oh, USTA. Hats off no, to the, the ATA. ATA. <laughs> senior moment, senior moment. Hats off to the ATA for being in existence for so long and growing the sport of tennis to everybody in this country, which is the way it's supposed to be. Absolutely. And uh, that's that was a little... Background there for us on that. So that's our moment in history on the sport of tennis. Yeah, if you get a chance, folks, go ahead and uh, there's there's several books out there. One was the Carrington book that kind of tracks the history of the ATA and and African American tennis in this country. Uh, it's 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 harder to find this information now than it used to be. I remember when I first started playing and I was in uh, back in the seventies. They were always they had a magazine called Black Tennis, and you probably remember. Black oh yeah, tennis. I remember that. And it, we, you were looking there, and I would just see what 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 was happening in the sport all over the country. And uh, but go in and research some of these things, and look at some of the names of some of the players uh, who didn't get a chance to play at the national level. That wouldn't happen until uh, well, for the women, it didn't happen until Althea Gibson was able to play in the uh, United States. Uh, net, well, at that time, the U.S. She National Tournament, which is right. now the U.S. Open, and changed the game. I mean, she's the Jackie Robinson of the sport. Mm -hmm. and uh, So people like that, but not just her. There are a whole lot of names of former players in here who are instrumental in, in, in growing the sport. And it's just, you know, we wish they'd have been able to compete, you know, a, in the, in the bigger tournaments, but right. they just weren't given a chance. Yeah, but they still played and played well. Still played, and they were just as good, if not better. Yeah. But again, until you get that opportunity, you know. I know uh, the ATA has uh, has hasn't had the same impact as the USTA for my, for my career. But I've played a couple of US um, yep. ATA tournaments. Yep. Um, you know, I got one of the worst beatdowns I've ever had. Oh, so did I. ATA. So did I. So a couple of ATA dreams. But you know, some of the. Um, some of the more prominent members of the ATA also helped some of the more prominent players that became uh, worldwide known, yep. um, like Arthur Ashe. You know, yes. some of some of the people that were instrumental in uh, and big in the ATA also helped Arthur yep. uh, get to where he got to. And of course, we know what he ended up doing for the sport. Exactly. You know, and you so, hear about people like the Sidney Llewellyns, right. uh, you know, or the. Uh, uh, Whirlwind Johnsons right. of the sport, uh, Dr. Johnson, were, yeah. Dr. Johnson, who were instrumental, Tally Holmes, and mm -hmm. all of these names of people who were uh, very instrumental in the sport and growing the sport. Um, so, yeah. Well, cool. That's 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 what we need. That's why we are here to give you a little bit different flavor than what you would normally hear in a podcast. So, uh, James, you got any? Uh, Parting gifts for our episode for our fans. Well, I just want to say, uh, 
I'm going to put on my patriotic shirt and just say I'm just very happy Taylor Fritz came through. Absolutely. Uh, I am, so. Indian Wells, and it's a California boy yeah. winning in California, and uh, he's, he's, he's that player. We talked about him before, too. You know, we just wondered when he was going to break through. Uh, promising, he was promising as a junior. He came on the scene. Right. Um, also, um, the other thing, just want to say, uh, United States tennis. I feel it's going to get back. Not, I may, so. you know, I think we got some players on there that are going to be interesting to look at and see. Um, it's going to be tough because the world is still. St- they're, yeah, they're hungry. Um, they're hungry. The, the world is hungry. They're hungry, and uh, so we just want to keep watching the game and. Uh, uh, seeing what's going to happen, but yeah, it's we want to have a reason to go watch, and there's some great players in the world scene that we like and love. But I still like to see that red, white, and blue. Man. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> we would love to see the men's yes. Davis Cup title come oh, back to America. Yeah, Lee. Wow, that's you know, another. Yes, yeah. You know. I like to see us win the. I like to see uh, us win a Labor Cup, man. Yeah, can yeah. we beat? Can can the world team finally? I mean, uh, can the world team finally beat Europe? Can that happen? Uh, well, that's a different top topic altogether. <laughs> that's not enough time for that that's, one. That's, that's, that's not a national competition <laughs> no, as opposed to a team competition. Right, that's true. Um, that is, you know, we still have the Billie Jean Cup, Billie Jean King Cup on the women's side, and of course the Davis Cup on the men's side. So if we can get the red, white, and blue to represent well and do well uh, like it used to be in the 80s and early 90s, then that would be great. Yeah. Well, all right, tennis fans, thanks again for coming and listening to us uh, on our podcast. We'll see you next time, James. Hey, listen, you guys, go out and play some tennis. The weather is springtime. This is the time of year. Absolutely. Yeah, rough and have a good one, my All friend. right, man, you do the same.